All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning to our congregation, our friends out in Tanzania, Pastor Paphras and your church out there. Um, wherever you are, whenever you are, just I'm so glad you're here. This is such a joyous time to gather together and just celebrate what the Lord has done for us. Um, I'm just excited. Can you tell? It's been a couple weeks. I've been on vacation. You know, and I was, I was preaching a couple weeks ago, uh, two Sundays ago I was preaching, and, and Pastor Gabe said to me, Bob, sit down, we're on vacation. <laughs> like, all right. So we, we got to get away, we got to get away for a week uh, in Florida, and thank you to Pastor Craig for stepping in and teaching. I hope you all were blessed by it. I know that we were. Um, it's so nice to be able to get away and know that the Word of God is going to be preached here when, you, when you're not uh, when you're not up here. But that being said, I'm so happy to be back, and, and I am, I'm just excited to bring this message to you. There's that word again. I use it all the time, but gosh, I, I feel like I'm apologizing for being excited about sharing the gospel, and I just can't. I, I love being up here. I love being able to share with you the word of God and the truth and the revelation that God gives me. Um, it's just exciting to me, and there's no other way to put it. So I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, Let's get going. Let's get right into the message. I've got so much in this section here. Um, again, thank you to Pastor Craig for, for keeping everything going. And I always, give, I always give him the choice, or even Pastor Gabe, when they step in and teach, that you can teach whatever you like, or you can just continue. And, and Pastor Craig said, man, I want to continue in Mark because it's such a cool book, and there's so much there. So I'm glad that he did that because I get to then re-engage here with a section that I've just always loved. And I've loved it for a couple of reasons. One is because there's just so much meat there. And another is because it's one of those head scratchers. You're like, what's happening here? And why is this happening? And so this is why I love studying the word is because to be able to just make it real and to make it come alive. And I think that, that we'll be able to do that here today in a section that a lot of times, again, people just like kind of shake their head like, what's going on? We're in chapter five of Mark. So we're starting out in chapter five. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> okay, now, ready to go. So Jesus had been traveling around the Galilee, teaching, preaching, healing the sick, driving out demons, and basically really creating, creating a problem for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, were, at first, they were kind of on board, like curious, who is this guy? And then just the more Jesus went into it, the more bold Jesus was, and the more public things became, the more it became problematic for them. And then the Pharisees, the powers that be, started to plot Jesus' demise. And it's tempting to look at this, or a lot of Scripture really, and just take the ministry of Jesus and, and kind of compress it down to, it was so cool how he went around just kind of rubbing the Pharisees' nose in this mess that they had created, right? I even do that sometimes. Like, can you imagine what the Pharisees must have been thinking? And that's an aspect of it, yes, but we cannot let ourselves diminish the ministry of Jesus down to just that. His goal was to show the power of the one true God. Remember, they were in a society where... Everybody had their own gods or collection of gods. And so he traveled around showing the power of the one true God, making disciples and really destroying the works of the devil. 
we don't have to guess that that was his purpose. He says that that was his purpose. So he travels around. He's gathering a huge crowd. The crowd is following him, some disciples, some not. And we had just seen, before I I left, we had seen where he had chosen his 12, the special 12 apostles. But even after spending time with Jesus, even after being called by him, feeling that call, that urge to leave behind everything and follow him, so that must have been some calling, something they couldn't just like, well, I'm curious, let's see what happens. They had lives and they left them behind to follow Jesus into the unknown. But even after that, watching him heal, watching him do all these amazing things, they still had a hard time grasping the fullness of who Jesus was. And that that happens to us every day. I'm the pastor of this church and sometimes I still have Jesus in this small box, thinking, okay, I know he can do that. I know he can do this. I know he can do this, but uh, this is a big thing. I don't know. And I never say that out loud, but sometimes I just struggle with that. But these guys are the same. I don't feel like I'm in bad company or there's something wrong with my faith because the apostles were exactly the same way. (coughs) So they're traveling around watching all these things, and imagine their terror, as Pastor Craig taught, when they get in the boat, and they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as, as Pastor Craig taught, anybody who's ever been to Lake McConaughey in Nebraska knows you can compare that with the Sea of Galilee. Man, storms can kick up so fast that all of a sudden you just feel like, this is it. This is the end. We're going down. And that's what happens, and they're, and they're in terror over the, these are sailors and they're in terror of what's about to happen. And then all of a sudden, Jesus with a word just calms the storm. Imagine, the, imagine their, their mindset when they go from the sheer terror to their awe, like what just happened? Just so fast. And to see that happen Mark 4.41, so the very last section of, of last week, they began, they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They knew who he was. They had been with him. They had seen all these things, and still they're even like, who is this Jesus? So this is their mindset. That's where they are as we pick up with chapter 5 today, and they reach yeah, there's, remember, they're in a boat. They're traveling across the Galilee, and they reach the shore on the other side. They had been in this storm. It was terrifying. The storm was calmed. Then they reached the other side. Now you think, okay, let's take a minute. Let's make a fire. Let's have some hot cocoa and talk about what just happened here and kind of relax a little bit and regroup. You'd think they would deserve a little time like that. That is not what happened. That is not what happened. So, but that's where they are. So Mark 5.1, the first section of today's scripture, they came to the other side of the sea into the region of the Gerasenes. So the region of the Gerasenes, what they're talking about here, what that means is Gadara was one of the cities of the Decapolis. Okay, the Decapolis is a collection of 10 cities. They're... they're 
Greek, Roman, they call them Hellenistic cities. They're kind of 10 major cities, but they're, they're definitely not Hebrew cities, right? They're very much, very much um, Gentile cities. And people argue over what is the name of the town or the name of the, I mean, they call it a city, but really they're just bigger villages or towns that they came to. People argue, was it Gadara? Was it Garasa? Was it Gergesa? I mean, it's been thousands of years. So they argue over what exactly they're called. But what we know is they call it the region of the Gerasenes because Gerasa, or, or I'm sorry, Gadara was that city of the Decapolis. And it would have had kind of... Uh, jurisdiction over this region. So they're not talking about a specific city or specific town. They're talking about the Decapolis city that had jurisdiction over this area. That's why they call it the region of the Gerasenes, okay? So a little bit of debate over what that is. I have a map, so those of you who kind of think visually can take a look at this. So up here, Sea of Galilee, obviously, top right, Gergesa, that's kind of the consensus, maybe that's what the town was. But all the way down here, you see Gadara. So Gadara would have been the city of the Decapolis that, that kind of held sway over this area. So that's why when it says the region of the Gerasenes, that's what it's talking about. You see Tiberius over here on the left shore, Nazareth clear over there. Way down here would be Jerusalem, if you're keeping track, and then the Dead Sea even further down. So that's kind of where we are. That's what's going on. Now, again, you would have thought that after all this trial, after everything, the storm and all this that had happened, they would deserve a rest and some time to relax and digest what had just happened. You'd be wrong. As soon as they reached the other shore, I mean, literally as soon as they reached the other shore, Mark 5, 2, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. There was no rest. Mark 5, uh, Mark 5, 3 to 5 goes on. He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, cutting himself with stones. Luke 8 Adds, it talks about the same thing, and it adds that he had been living there a long time. Now, if you have a background in mental health, you would recognize from the things that this man is doing, compare those to the classic, the DM, DSM-3R that you use for checking those symptoms, and they are classic symptoms of disassoci- dissociative disorder and a little ob- obsessive-compulsive, among other disorders, Put in there. This man is suffering. He's 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 suffering. He's a victim that's there. And the city, the townsfolk, they don't know what to do with him. Now, this is one thing that I absolutely love about having had the opportunity to travel to Israel. If you have never had that opportunity, I encourage you, however you have to do it, go there because it becomes so real. Let me show you this area of Garasa. Let me show you this first uh, of the tomb area. Now, if you go there today, now I've been there, I've stood there. This is some of the remains of the town. In fact, this is part of the synagogue that was in that town. Now, if you see that pathway that kind of looks like it leads up into those hills, you can go there today. 
This is where this happened. What we're talking about today happened there. Now let me show you the next picture. This is an area of the tombs. You can kind of see a little staircase. They've put it there just for, to make it safe to walk up there. But you can go there. You can walk up and stand right there in front of the tombs where this man lived. You can stand there and you can look down the hillside. You can see the cliff. You can go there and stand where Jesus did his ministry, where these things happened. This isn't a fairy tale. This is a history book. And it really happened. It's amazing. So you can go ahead and, and take that down. I have stood right there in that tomb. <clears throat> it's important to understand a couple things about this man and about the people who put him there, okay? First of all, they were most likely either entirely or a vast majority of them were Gentiles. They probably weren't Jews. I'm sure there were some sprinkled in, but most likely they were Gentiles. We know this for a couple of reasons. One, it's strictly forbidden by Jewish law to have contact with or be in the proximity of dead bodies. So this man living among the tombs, that wouldn't have been something that the Hebrew law would have allowed. Also, as we soon find out, pigs were apparently a pretty large part of their Diet, again, something that's unclean and, and forbidden by Jewish law. If the people of this town were Jews, most likely, rather than to just try and chain this guy up and banish him to the tombs, they would have sent for an exorcist. Exorcisms were very, very common in Jewish culture. They had, they had procedures. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But they most likely a long time ago would have at least tried going down that road. But they had to live with this eerie howling. Can you imagine? Now, that's not far. The distance from the town to those tombs makes it sound like it's way out in the country. It's not. It's a, it's a two-minute walk. It's right there. So this man howling at night, you would have heard it everywhere. You would have heard it all night long. It would have been just tormenting for the people in the town. They were at their wits end of what to do with this guy. We've chained him. We've done everything. We've banished him. Thank goodness he's decided he wants to live in the tombs because we don't know what to do with him, running around naked, howling, and screaming all the time. It would have been a major problem for them. It's important to recognize what's going on with them as we see how this unfolds later. We also know that this man or his family must have had some standing. He wasn't always like this. It says he lived there a long time. He wasn't always like that because if he had been just a, a, a poor man, or so, they probably just would have killed him, but they didn't. So it probably means either he or his family had some sort of a standing or some sort of a, of a history there. But let's get back to Scripture, Mark 5, 6, and 7. Seeing Jesus for a, from a distance, he, meaning the, the demoniac here, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. That's almost exactly what the demon-possessed man in the synagogue several chapters ago, remember what he said? Chapter 1, verse 23? It didn't work out well for him either. But this demon clearly knew who Jesus was. There was no question. He knew, and he sought mercy by invoking the name of God. That doesn't always work. 
James 2.13, first part of it says, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. That's what demons do. Ezekiel 24.14 says, I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming, and I will act. I will not overlook. I will not pity, and I will not be sorry according to your ways and according to your deeds. I will judge you, declares the Lord God. This demon wasn't repentant. He just didn't want the consequences of what he had done or what he was in the middle of doing. Side note here, pleading for God's mercy in the middle of active sin is not going to turn out well. All it takes is repentance, but this demon was not repentant. He was just mad that he got caught. That begs the question, though, why did the demon approach Jesus at all instead of just hiding? Wouldn't you think that if, if he saw Jesus coming and if he knew who Jesus was, he would have just said, I'm out of here. He would go hide somewhere or go into the tombs and just lay low and be quiet. But he didn't do that. We know he didn't do that because Mark 5.8 says, For he had, now this is talking about Jesus. For he, Jesus, had already been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Let's look at what's going on there. As Jesus arrives on the shore, the man comes down to meet him. But Jesus had already been saying, Come out of the man. We know that because if we look at the tense of those words, the phrase he had already been saying is actually a Greek imperfect word, and it's, it's spelled lego, but it's lejo, and it's an it's a imperfect verb. And what it indicates is that the demon interrupted what Jesus was already saying. So Jesus hit the ground running. When he hit the shore, he didn't say, well, let's get the lay of the land and see what's going on. He was coming into town on the boat, and as the boat hit the shore, he went, there's something wrong here. Come out of that man, you unclean spirit, right now. And so he was saying that immediately, and the demon sensed that or heard it and came down to meet Jesus. Have mercy on me. It wasn't a matter of let's go find out what's going on. Jesus' response to what the demon begs him was actually a question. Mark 5, 9, and he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Remember that? That sounds, that sounds awesome. My name is Legion. There have been movies over that, and it's meant to make you think a legion, a legion is 6,000 soldiers. Okay, these people would have known that. The Romans were all over the place. The Romans are the ones that invented the designation of legion. So 6,000 is a full legion, Roman soldiers. So what he's trying to do, this demon is trying to intimidate Jesus. You want to know my name? It's not just me. We are legion. So he's trying to intimidate Jesus into backing off. This is where it gets, it's been good. This is where it really gets good. Listen to this. This demon was expecting this exorcism process to be more of a negotiation, more of a back and forth. That's not how it works today. But back then, that is exactly how it worked. It was more of a negotiation, and Jesus is about to crush that idea hard. That is not how this is going to work anymore. All the way back, when we see Jesus heal the man of leprosy, remember when, he, when Jesus, the man, held out his hand? He healed that man 
immediately. And he sends the man to the priest. Jesus sends that man to the priest and says, do the cleansing ritual that is demanded of you. And he sends the man to be cleansed. The reason he did that is for the benefit of the Jews and their religious practices. Okay, I've healed you. Now let's go perform the rituals. So because you're a Jew, the people around you are Jews, let's go ahead and do that so that they can then declare you clean. This crowd wasn't Jewish. The people standing around, the people of the town, they're not Jewish. (coughs) So why then does he ask the name? He asks the name for the benefit of the demon himself. Because the demon is thinking, okay, this is going to be, here's where it is. I'll throw out, this is my first salvo here. We are legion. Are you scared now? Okay, now let's negotiate what we're going to do here. That's how it worked. Exorcisms in the Hebrew culture were very public events. They had a very strict structure on how they worked. There were typically a minimum of 10 men involved. Sometimes, not always, there are exceptions. But typically 10 men involved, and each man had a different function in this exorcism process. And the exorcist... The goal here really was to determine the name of the demon. That was one of their main goals. And they would use smoke and sulfur. Imagine you're the poor possessed person. You're sitting there, and they would put you in a room, and they would blow smoke and sulfur and all kinds of things at you. They would yell at you. They would, would, in many cases, they would beat you. And the goal was to try and get the demon in you to submit and give their name up. Because once they gave up their name, then the real negotiation started. Then the exorcist would use that name to try and find out why the demon is doing this. Why are you here? What's your point? What's the purpose of all this? And the idea was to overcome then and finally just convince the demon, this is too much effort. It's not worth it to be here I'm going to go somewhere else. That was really their goal. Let's just irritate him enough to make him leave. And that process is virtually unchanged for centuries. And in fact, in Orthodox communities, still goes on today. But this exorcism by Jesus didn't require any of that ritual, any of that back and forth. It was done simply just by command. And so when Jesus asked the question, what's your name? It's for the benefit of the demon to know this isn't going to be business as usual. And also of those who happen to be around because they were terrified. They didn't know what to do about this guy. And Jesus is saying, okay, a legion? There's a legion of you? Okay. Go get a couple more legions and maybe this will be a fair fight. That's not how... This goes down here. But before giving up entirely, the demon demons had one last trick. Now, a side note here. Demons cannot, cannot refuse an order in the name and the authority of Jesus. If you say, in the name of Jesus, demon, be gone. In the name of Jesus, demon, shut your mouth. Be silent. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see you. They have to obey. They cannot refuse it. However, 
what they can do. And this is important. We see this in our deliverance ministry. We see this in life every day. They can try and negotiate with you. Listen to this. This demon, even though he knows, he knows the game is up, but if he can get Jesus to just, maybe just give him a little bit, and we see that. People say that all the time. I see it in life. I've done it. Full transparency. I've done it. What if I only sin a little bit? What if I take that big thing and just, okay, I'll give that up, but can I hold on to a little bit? Because I like a little bit. Maybe only on Tuesdays and special occasions. The demon's trying to negotiate his way out of this. Mark 5.10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now, that phrase right there, leave that scripture up. That tells us a little bit. Look at all the things that are going on just in this. And he, small h, he, this is the man we're talking about, right? Begged him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them. So he went, he to them. One man, them, demons. There's a lot going on there, that back and forth. Now that tells us some very important things. Many people think that demons, and the Holy Spirit for that matter, control people like robots. I'm going to control you. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to say. This man was possessed by a legion. Maybe we don't know of a literal legion, but it was many. And he was possessed, fully possessed by them, but he was still aware of himself and aware of what he was doing. So he didn't want to be sent out of the region because, like, this is my family. I I want to be with them. So we see this, this schizophrenic back and forth, that dissociative disorder thing we're talking about. I'm one, but I'm also many. I'm me, but I'm them. We see that struggle going on today, not just in people who have mental health issues, but in all of us. I am a follower of Christ. I am a steadfast disciple of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and yet I'm also this broken being. And we try and reconcile those two things, and we see it happening all the time. But this man, though he was possessed, very much aware of himself. Another side note, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have made him your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. You cannot be possessed if you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. However, if you're not, then the devil has free run at you. And if that's not reason enough to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, then I don't know what is. This all comes down to it, though. The phrase, the devil made me do it, is a lie. You have a choice. This man was still aware of what he was doing, although he was unable to overcome it in his own. Now, the part that happens next, this is where the head-scratcher part comes in. Mark 5, 11 to 12. And now, and now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons begged him, saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. Anybody else but me ever read that scripture and go, what is happening there? Okay. Now, for the demons, this was just a part of the negotiation. 
okay, don't banish us entirely, just put us over there and we'll leave everybody alone. Notice how they ask permission. Now, there's precedent for this. In Babylonian culture, and in fact in other cultures beforehand, exorcisms, the goal was not to drive out the demon and and banish him to hell or wherever he came from. The goal, what they would do, is try and banish that demon into an animal, and then that animal would be sacrificed. Okay, so that's Babylonian culture. So again, these people, being Gentiles, would have been more familiar with the Babylonian rites. So they would have been saying, okay, here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to send the demons into those pigs. But wait a minute, that means that the pigs, we're going to lose the pigs. We don't want to lose the pigs. That's our livelihood. That's our food. We see that play out here in just a minute. But back to the demons, they hate to sit idle. Their whole purpose for being is just to wreak havoc. And to be banished back to the pit means they're just sitting idle. They're like, look, we'll give up the guy. Send us into the pigs. Because at least then we can have our way with them. Luke 8.31 adds, they were begging him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Okay, that would have been a place where they would just be forced to sit idle. And their whole purpose for being, they couldn't do it. They would hate that. That's why they're talking about torment. Their torment is to not be able to afflict people and wreak havoc. Something was better than nothing in their eyes. We're told in John 10.10, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And that means all the time, anything. They'll take whatever they can get. If they can take a human, they will take a human. If it's an animal, whatever. They just like to wreak havoc, and that's what they do. Mark 5.13, Jesus gave them permission. Why did he do that? And coming out, the unclean spirits, spirits entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Let me show you a picture. This is the actual hill, hill of the swine. This is right above that, the town and the tombs. This would have been the hill. You can stand there and you can see it. This is how this Bible passage played out. They rushed down. It's not we would call literal cliff is vertical. That's enough of a cliff. They tumble down this into the ocean, and they're dead. Here's an artist's rendering, a, a, a painting of that scene where the pigs just clamoring over the hill, and you can see the ones who are tending to the pigs are like, what is happening here? A total scene of chaos as 2,000 pigs go rushing over the hill to die, to drown in the sea. So the question then is why? Why did that happen? That's That's quite a scene and quite a passage in here. Like, why is that there? Jesus beforehand had been simply just driving out demons. He just drove them out, and it was done. This time, though, he makes a show of it. Why the show? That's really all you could really call this is kind of a show for the benefit of the people around. Why did he do that? A couple reasons. Number one is to demonstrate his complete authority over the demons. I'm not just banishing you and saying, be out of this man 
and you can go wherever you want and do whatever you want, but be gone out of this man. That was traditional Jewish exorcism. Be gone. Okay, they're gone. Where did they go? We don't know. We'll find out when he shows up next. Jesus demonstrated his complete authority by driving them, but not only driving him out of the man, but telling them where they were going to go. And he sent them there. He also wanted everyone in the town, the people tending the pigs, the people in the village, the man himself, to know what the demon's true intention was. So as soon as the, as the demons were not competing with the man's, all men are made in the image of God, even this man. And that is enough for him to retain enough of his sensibilities to be putting up a struggle with these demons. But as soon as they no longer have that, the pigs rush into the ocean and they're destroyed because that's the demon's goal. Their whole point is to steal, kill, and destroy. And the only reason this man was in torment is because it was a struggle. If the demons just could have killed him immediately, they would have. As soon as the demons were free of the resistance of that man putting up, they completed their mission in full sight of everyone around. So imagine you're in charge of these pigs. You're those two guys we saw in the painting. It's your job. And they just, without reason, rushed down over the cliff into the ocean and died. You just lost them all. What would you do? You would run and go tell people, like, it wasn't me. That's what you do. Mark 5, 14, 15. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the countryside. They're running all over the place telling everybody who will listen. And the people came to see what had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had previously had the legion. What's the last verse? And they celebrated and jumped for joy. If you're looking at your Bible, what it says, and they became frightened. Frightened? Why would you be frightened when you just saw the amazing power of Jesus? Mark 5, 16, 17. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the pigs. Verse 17. And they began to beg him to leave their region. Why? We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But Jesus never stays where he's not wanted. He doesn't force himself on anybody, and so he leaves, so he leaves the region. Mark 5, 18 to 20. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was begging him so that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So by doing this for the man, by not letting him come along, but by saying, go, because this man was a Gentile. He was known in the Decapolis. Go and spread this to those people. In a way, this man was one of the first to evangelize to the Gentiles. Go and tell them. Jesus was able to do this. You know, in the past, we had seen Jesus saying, now don't tell anyone. Remember, don't tell anyone what has just happened here. That was because, for the most part, those were Jews. 
and they telling someone would get to the Pharisees, and it might accelerate that timeline. It would get to people who were trying to plot Jesus' demise. There was no danger people were going to say Jesus is the Messiah. Just go tell them what happened to you. It was okay in this case. So let's put this all together. Let's, let's make some sense of this. These people, the people in the village, should have been extremely grateful for what Jesus had done for them. Extremely. They should have thrown a parade. He had delivered this man from demonic torment, for one. So the man should have been and was thrilled. But he saved an entire town from having to listen to the night and day screams of this man. They could now finally be free of that. They didn't have this man running around naked and causing mayhem all night long. And maybe most importantly, he saved them from a legion of demons living in their midst. At some point, they were going to get done with the man or be tired of the man and probably look for someone else in the town. But instead of being grateful, they were frightened. And they asked him to leave immediately. Get out. Why would, you, why would they do that? Several reasons why they did that here. And we still see this dynamic going on today. They were more concerned with the loss of their pigs. 2,000 pigs is a big deal. And they lost them because this Jesus guy drove the demon into the pigs, and now we don't have the pigs. We'd have rather had the demon. He was only infecting one guy. Like most people, though, they were frightened of things that they don't understand. They didn't understand. It didn't fit with the way they thought the world worked. And they were scared of it. Even though their life was disrupted every day by this demonic influence, it was the evil they knew. They knew it. They understood it. They probably says, grew up that this man was possessed in that way for a long time. We don't know what a long time is, but they had gotten used to it. It's like this is evil in our midst. Torment, night and day, this man is screaming, but it's just kind of the way things are. They had gotten used to it. They were very, very superstitious people, but they had no context to, to put sense to what they had just saw unfold in front of them. They had no idea, and so it scared them. But this is so true of many people who know of Jesus but refuse to accept him today. It's so true. People are more afraid of how Jesus will disrupt their lives than what Satan can do if left unchecked. They're more afraid of what people will say, what I'll have to give up, what's going to change in my life. I don't want any of that. I don't want to listen to ridicule. I don't want to have to answer questions. I'll just deal with Satan in my life and his influence. But the response to that then is just often to deny Jesus and push him away. It's not logical, but it happens all the time. You see the power of Jesus. You've heard of the power of Jesus. You know who Jesus is, but you're like, nah, I don't know. I don't want to have to give up a lot of stuff. This encounter proves that you can know who Jesus is and you can see his power, but still not surrender to him. We actually see these demons praying to him. Now, our, we think of praying as, Lord, 
help me. Praying is just talking to God, and that's what these demons were doing. They were negotiating with him. We see that all the time. They were looking to exploit some kind of a loophole. We see the demons submitting to the authority of Jesus without fully surrendering to him. Again, we see that every day. Unfortunately, we see demonic influence like that unfold in our lives every single day. Like this legion of demons, we submit some things to Jesus while holding other things back. I'll give all these things to you, Jesus. You are the Lord of all these things, but I want to hang on to these things. We do that all the time. We often confuse deliverance and healing with torment. Just like this, the man was being delivered and healed from those afflictions. Remember, he's cutting on himself with stones. He was going to be able to heal from those things. And the answer was, why do you torment me? We confuse those things, preferring to remain in sin rather than suffer disruption and inconvenience in our lives. Make no mistake, Satan and his demons are relentless in their efforts to destroy God's purposes for your life. They are relentless. One of the commentaries that I like, it's called Enduring Word Commentary. It says it like this. I like the way they put it. These demons considered it torment to be put out of this man's body. Demons want to inhabit human bodies for the same reason a vandal wants a spray can or a violent man wants a gun. A human body is a weapon that a demon can use in attacking God. So you can be a tool that the enemy can use for his purposes. Or as 1 John 3.8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Which side are you going to be on? Are you going to be a tool that the enemy can use to attack God and his purposes? Or are you going to be a part of the solution? Jesus has empowered you to stand with him and destroy the works of the devil. It says he came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has given you that authority, and he has given you that power. Luke 10, 19. My favorite scripture that I use in deliverance ministry. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written, are recorded in heaven. Amen. Worship team, you guys can get ready. Our fascination, our focus, our obsession should never be with the storm or the pain or the suffering or the trial or the torment or the demons. Those things are going to be there all the time. Our focus Our obsession, our fascination should be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your your son, Jesus, and through him, the power and authority that we have to stand alongside you and help fulfill our purpose in this world, to make your son, Jesus, known, to overcome the schemes of the enemy. So, Father, I thank you that we have been given that authority. 
And so, Lord, we stand against anything that is not of you in this world, places in our lives where we have allowed the enemy to creep in, where we have, where we have shackled the enemy into a corner in our lives thinking we can control him. It's only an illusion of control because it won't be long before we are killed by that demon in our lives. We will die a slow death every day if we allow that in. And so, Father, I pray all of us, myself and anyone listening to my voice, that we would be aware of those places in our lives where we have allowed demons to inhabit, where we have looked the other way with a wink and a nod and let a demon take up residence in our lives, thinking that we can control. Lord, show us those areas, and by the name of Jesus, we will cast that demon out. We will deny that demon a foothold in our lives. We will overcome all of the schemes and all of the lies through the power of Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray that you help us see those places where he's hiding. See those caves that we have banished him to, thinking it's control, it's not. Show us the truth, God. Show us the lie that we're believing, and then show us the truth that only the power of Jesus and repentance in our spirit can overcome the schemes of the enemy. But it's not a... It's not a hope. It's a guarantee, and you have given us that. So, Lord, we thank you, and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to, we're going to go into communion now. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have made him the Lord and Savior of your life, you have given your heart to him, you have accepted the gift that he so willingly gives you, that he so desperately wants everyone to accept, then we want you to take communion with us. If you're at home or wherever you are, get the materials now. Get the elements. It could be anything representing the body. We use bread. Here in-house, we use bread. We use gluten-free crackers. And then something to represent the wine and the blood of Jesus. The elements themselves are not important. It's what they represent. And it represents a body broken for you and a blood covering you from sin. And the acceptance of those by taking communion together means I say yes to those things in my life and I say no to the schemes of the enemy. We cannot have one foot in the new life and the new world that Jesus offers us and still hold on to the sin of the past. We can't do that. We will end up just like this man, tormented. Maybe not chained and naked running around, but the effect is the same in our lives. It hurts those around us, and it hurts us. That is not who we were meant to be. Jesus is our deliverer. By taking communion together, we say yes to that. So here in-house, Gabe and I will serve up here or we have self-serve at the crosses. I want you to also take advantage. If you're here in-house, we have prayer team in the back. We also have members of our deliverance ministry. It's called Discover Freedom. If you're struggling with any of those things and you need someone just to stand alongside you and say, yes, we have been given the authority over the demonic world and nothing can harm us. 
we have those people in the back, so please see them. If you're out there online, wherever you are, message us. Put it in the chat boards, and we will pray for you. We will stand alongside you because the schemes of the enemy have no power over a disciple of Jesus Christ. They have no power over you. He adds that, and nothing can harm you. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's everything to be vigilant of and aware of. Fear is not a part of the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? Worship with us, guys.